Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. That's my name. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. You can hear my voice has been going all week. Well, it's, I guess it's been coming back all week. It's been gone. I mean, it, it actually started. It's wrestling related. It's good. This is the place to talk about it. It started going last Saturday at the Madison Square Garden house show. Then, what was that? The day after Christmas. Then there was Raw at the Barclays Center. And I'm just sitting there at both shows like an eight-year-old kid yelling my head off for John Cena. Because, you know, when we go to wrestling shows, we boo the bad guys. So what does that imply? We cheer the good guys. And that's what I was doing. So I do that. And then after Raw, I go back to work. So I'm doing radio shows and podcasts all day. So, you know, I mean, my SiriusXM show is three hours of talking just by itself, plus this podcast, plus Katie's podcast, plus everything. Led to a lot of talking. Then again, and then I flew out to L.A. on Thursday of last week, on New Year's Eve day. Did another couple radio shows. Uh, recorded some stuff for the podcast. Went to my first pro wrestling gorilla show. So, my voice is just now starting to get back, but I've done it no favors in the past several days. A lot of that stuff, well, not a lot of it, but specifically one thing mentioned we're going to talk about today on the show. Um, look, there's a lot to talk about in the world of wrestling. Oh, man, does that mean I, let me, let me, let me turn that down. I hope that doesn't mean I owe you a beer. There's a lot to talk about in the world of pro wrestling. Um, the theoretical and possible and probable, I'll say, signing of four guys from New Japan Pro Wrestling, which we'll talk about in the state of wrestling, is a big enough deal that if it hadn't broken on a Monday night, I would have done a bonus podcast. I taped the podcast on Tuesday evening and put it out first thing Wednesday morning, like 3 o'clock in the morning, Wednesday morning. So Monday and Tuesday are kind of, okay, whatever happens then will obviously be covered in state of wrestling. I've only ever done one bonus podcast, and that was when Seth Rollins got injured, and that's because it either happened on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day it was, and we had almost a week to go before another podcast. If this news had broken this week after I had recorded this, I would have done another show. I would have recorded a bonus podcast. That's how big the news is that the WWE may have or intends to sign Four, one, two, three, four of New Japan's biggest talents, especially coming right off Wrestle Kingdom. Over the weekend, you know, I watched Wrestle Kingdom. I thought I was going to come on here, talk about my experience at PWG, talk about watching Wrestle Kingdom, talk about what's going on in the WWE, and that's the state of wrestling. Already I thought I had a lot. And then I watched Raw on Monday, and there's a lot to talk about with the Royal Rumble. So already I got all this to talk about. And then the New Japan news breaks. So there's a lot that we're going to get to in the state of wrestling. Uh, and there's no more really appropriate guest to have on this week uh, that relates to all of those things than Adam Cole. Baby! Adam Cole! Baby! The man who said baby before Heath Slater did. Adam Cole has made such a name for himself 
on the indies. I had him on the show, uh, I think last time I had him on was about, uh, probably a little more than a year ago. I think last time we heard from Adam Cole on Sam Roberts' wrestling podcast, it was leading into uh, Final Battle of last year, or of 2014, when he wrestled Jay Briscoe in a fight without honor for Ring of Honor Wrestling. Since then, Adam Cole was sidelined with an injury. Now, Adam Cole is a guy who I said, and I still say, is going to have a huge spot in WWE one day. You talk about a guy with all the tools, with the look, with the ability. I mean, he's already he's pretty much media trained himself. I've interviewed everybody. And Adam Cole is ready to do interviews the way WWE wants him to do interviews. Adam Cole is ready to wrestle matches, much more importantly, wrestle matches the way WWE would want him to. And he's ready to become a star the way WWE would hope that he would. I think he'll, I think he'll be really big when he finally gets to WWE, and he will. He's just, he's, he, he, when you see him live, when you see him on TV, there's just, he commands a certain, I don't know if it's respect, but there's something about him where you just, you have to watch Adam Cole and see what he's going to do. And uh, he's a young guy. He's only, I think, 28 years old now. Last year, in 2015, uh, coming off of Ring of Honor's uh, final battle, he had a whole bunch of stuff going on. He ends up getting sidelined with an injury to his arm and shoulder and elbow. A whole bunch of stuff was going on with him. But he had to have surgeries done. And he was out of action for several months. For that to happen to a guy that young is a scary thing. Number one, because all of a sudden, mentally, you feel vulnerable. You know, you would come from this place when you're a young guy and you're doing a physical activity. You generally don't feel all that vulnerable. Now you know it's possible to get an injury. Uh, number two, you can be physically weaker after a surgery. It happens. Uh, and yeah, number three, it's like it, it starts. It adds an element of mortality to your career if you follow. It makes you realize, okay, this career could end in an instant, and that's a scary thing for somebody in their twenties who really, theoretically, hasn't even achieved half of their goals yet to have to uh, go through. But he went through that surgery, he sat out, he healed, he came back, and he's tearing it up like never before. Uh, This year for Ring of Honor, he wrestled a guy that we'll talk about, who uh, wrestled at least until this weekend for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe my favorite wrestler on television right now, and has been for about a year. I talked about it last year after Wrestle Kingdom 9, Nakamura. There might be nobody more entertaining to watch than Nakamura, but Nakamura, I mean, he kicks the crap out of people. And Adam Cole came back to have a match with Nakamura. Adam Cole uh, started a whole new branch of his career when he started teaming with Mike Bennett and Maria Kanellis in Ring of Honor and was part of the Kingdom faction that they were also a part of. Um, you know, Adam Cole's always been kind of his own guy. So to come back and to join this faction, he's also made uh, a huge impact in pro wrestling gorilla as far uh, as fart, <laughs> fart as part of the, uh, Rushmore 2.0 faction with, uh, Roddy Strong and the Young Bucks. I mean, he's really making a huge impact on both coasts. Uh, and I thought it'd be a great time to, again, talk to Adam Cole the afternoon before, this weekend's uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla Lemmy Show. Uh, 
talk to him about where he's at, talk to him about his injury, talk to him about, you know, Ring of Honor, Wrestling the Kingdom, and talk to him about something that I've been kind of critical of, which is this idea of Ring of Honor and Pro Wrestling Guerrilla having a talent agreement, which means that indie talent is exclusive to Ring of Honor and, you know, whoever they're in an arrangement with, meaning that they're not getting in the matches that they were. They're not traveling the world like they were. So, a lot to talk about with Adam Cole. I met up with him over the weekend before the PWG show, right outside his hotel room in L.A. We were on a balcony. There was some construction going on in the background. But I think it just adds to the mystique of a Sam Roberts wrestling podcast interview. So let's do it. Before we get to everything else going on in the world of pro wrestling, let's hear from Adam Cole, baby. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, here we are in, in beautiful Los Angeles, California with Adam Cole. Yes, it's good to be here in yes. beautiful Los Angeles, California. What's with the you. haps, Adam Cole? Not too much. I'm enjoying this really nice weather considering it's January 2nd. But yeah, you know, really. Back home, it being freezing cold, so this isn't too bad. Getting to start off my new year with Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So. Is that an exciting thing? I mean, I would imagine, you know, it's only, how many how many fans does PWG fit in the room? Uh Cram packed at 400 people, probably. 400 like, is crammed. But packed. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys, I mean, there's something special that's happened, especially I feel like in the last maybe two years, everybody else has kind of picked up on what's been going on out here with Pro Wrestling Gorilla, and now it's become kind of the spot. Is For sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think, too, like, you know, because people have talked about before PWG having that really, really cool indie buzz of, like, it being the hot place to be. So people have already said, you know, why doesn't PWG run pay-per-views? Why doesn't PWG right. try to get a TV deal? Or why doesn't PWG try to run a bigger building? Well, part of the magic is that building and it yeah. being so crammed and the, the uh, you know, YouTube previews and stuff. It's definitely the most fun I think I have wrestling for a company as far as, like, just enjoying wrestling for what it really is as far as independently. Yeah. So it's it's awesome, man. And plus, I you know, there's like, it. there's something about it that's like, there's an integrity to it. Yeah. When you know they could, like, it's not a matter of trying to fit a bigger room. Like, they're selling out every show within 10 minutes. Like, yeah, Like, you minutes. know they could do more than they're doing. For sure. But they want to keep it to what the product is supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, yep. And that, I would imagine, has you guys all realizing that these fans expect, like, the absolute best that you can bring to the table. Right, yeah. It's, it's funny because, like, uh, you'll sit there and you think, like, objectively, there really shouldn't be anything to be too nervous about for it being PWG because of how uh, amazing and accepting and excited they are to see the guys right. do their thing. But the wrestlers care so much about doing so well that every single show we're like, we got to top last show, we have to make it better, it has to be more entertaining, it has to be more intense. So you get really worked up for these shows for sure. Do you get nervous? Definitely. You definitely. do? Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's like a good nervous now. Like me nervous three years ago is a much different nervous right. than I am now. So it's, it's more excitement than it is nerves, I think. Right, because I guess three years ago you're still at this place where you're like, I don't know if I deserve to be here, I, 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 and like you're worried about 
everybody finding out that you don't deserve to be here. Now you're at a spot. And the crazy thing was, I was the most self-conscious in my career when I was PWG world champion <laughs> and Ring of Honor world champion, which right there screams like, oh, he's the man. Right. But I was still so young in my career. And right. I was How just, old were you at that point? Uh, 23. Right. You know, so, so you're like waiting for everybody to find out that they've <laughs> exactly. just given you all this stuff and you don't deserve any right, of it. Right, like the belts were just a mask. And then when <laughs> it gets taken off, we're going to find out how bad Adam Cole is. No, right. it was like, uh, that was really nerve-wracking for me at that time. So now like, now it, it, it's really cool to be at a point in my career now where again, the nerves are still there. They'll yeah. always be there because I care about this a lot. But uh, like I said, it's just a lot more excitement, you know, kind of for where I stand. When do you get to that spot when you realize that you do deserve to be where you're at, whether it's in Ring of Honor or PWG, like mentally, like when does that start to click? Yeah, I don't think it'll ever come. It, that you're still kind of worried yeah, about, like, about but, people but, finding out your. But I think, well, <laughs> maybe not the finding out part, but I definitely like my vision of where I want to be and where I want to go in wrestling. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever attain it, but I think it's good, like because m- mentally, from where my standpoint is, like always thinking about how I want to get better and I want to improve. And there's so many things I need to work on. I think that really keeps you on edge and kind of keeps you on your toes as yeah, far yeah, as yeah. always growing and, and getting better. So, uh, like, there's never been a point ever where I've uh, been behind the curtain or getting ready for a show and said, yeah, I'm the man in this locker room <laughs> or I'm the top dog. I always feel like I have something to prove. But yeah. that's that's I'm pretty sure I don't want to speak for everybody, but that's I'm pretty sure that's how a lot of guys in PWG and Ring of Honor feel. They're always trying to get better. Yeah. And and it's like we were saying because the fans, no matter how good you are, they're always going to want a better performance. So when you're 23, well what's what's the final vision that you're talking about? That that kind of vision of you as a wrestler that you don't know if you'll ever achieve. Oh gosh, I don't like my like I would love to get to a point someday <laughs> where I would like if I can retire and say, "Yeah, I did everything I I'd like to do in wrestling." That would be awesome. Right. But those goals obviously include uh a lot more tours of Japan, uh main eventing a WrestleMania, <laughs> right. being a WWE champ. So I have a long way to go when it comes right. to that. But I'll like Wrestling is so weird because it's so subjective and uh, opinionated as far as what people like and what they enjoy. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with enjoying the ride the older I've gotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas before, when I was at that 23 you know, years of age, I was so obsessive about making sure that I did good that I, I was still having fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I wasn't having fun, but I was almost so anxious and so worried all the time. Whereas now, I still have that same vision of wanting to grow and improve. But I am really having a good time now. Well, I think we talked about that a couple years ago when yeah. we talked about you kind of locking into this vision of being the youngest this, the youngest that, the youngest this. And you realize that that's not, even, that's not the best route. Because, I mean, I was going to ask you, when you're 23 and you're the PWG champion and you're the Ring of Honor champion, like, does, does you, do you get to a point where you're like, wait, 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 I'm only 23 years <laughs> old. Like, there's got to be something more to accomplish. Like, do you lose those titles and be like, okay – where do we go from here? Yeah, uh, I, it's funny you bring that up because there was a weird – I had a conversation with Steve Carino mm-hmm. the day after I won the Ring of Honor title because the night I won the championship, it was the biggest high I've ever felt and also the lowest low within hours, and I didn't understand it. Right. Like after I accomplished it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like all I've ever dreamed of. Right. This feeling is so great. I'm so happy. And then I literally had a real thing, which they call an adrenaline crash, which I didn't even know existed, Mm -hmm. where I felt sick to my stomach. My stomach was in knots. I couldn't sleep. I had, like, cold sweats. 
mentally I wasn't in a good place. And it was that, like, now what? Now that I did this, now what am I going to do? And I asked Steve Carino about it the next day, and he said he went through the exact same thing when he won the ECW championship. Of course. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, like, kind of what you go through in, in those fa- – it's also interesting, too, it seems with our fans, whether it be PWG or Ring of Honor, the level of respect they have for you almost after you drop the championship is different from when you are champion. Right. It's like that pressure is off of you while you're champion, but that it almost seems there's always a group of people, no matter what, whenever you lose it, that say that, oh, he should have had it a little bit longer. Right. So there's this different kind of respect that you get then afterwards, like post-championship. Right? And I think that, like, winning a championship is such a clear and obvious goal. Like, mm-hmm. anybody can relate to, like, I'm a wrestler, I want to win the championship. Mm-hmm. But people don't really lock into this idea of, okay, what you really want is to be a champion that people actually respect. You know what I mean? That people right. actually look at as he's one of the good champions. Exactly. Because um, if you win the title... And you've got it for a month, and then you drop it, and then mm-hmm. people forget. It doesn't matter that you ever won it, really. For sure. Exactly. Yeah, because there are two, two types of champions, exactly what you said. It's like when, when one guy becomes champion, that's the company's way of saying, all right, this is our guy. Right. And then it's a whole other ball game when the audience is saying, we want this to be our guy. Right. So it was like when I was champion at the time, I, people weren't upset about it by any means. I think they were happy with where it was going. But then after losing it, the, uh, the strong opinion of wanting me to become champion again almost took me to another level, I feel. I feel like yeah. the, the best uh, stuff of my career has definitely been post-double world championship run. Yeah, and, I, and, and it also must be because it's one of these things where it's like, okay, you've won the Ring of Honor title. Okay, well, now he's going to move on to the next thing, and WWE is mm-hmm. the next step. But it's like, no, he's staying here for a little while. Like, now you become the Ring of Honor people. You're, he's our guy now. Right. So we want to see him continue to, to do well and to do well. For sure. Yeah, they, they, they absolutely, I think, respect the fact that, um, you know, for a company like Ring of Honor, because even though it's grown so much and it's a legitimate mainstream wrestling company now, it's on television, it runs traditional pay-per-views, uh, guys are contracted like it's a serious mainstream company. Yeah. So, uh, but even still, the diehard Ring of Honor fans still treat it as the little engine that could. Mm-hmm. So the guys who do stick around and stay around and fight for Ring of Honor, if you will say, they definitely show like a different amount of respect for those guys. I was going to ask you about that because the more I thought about the partnership that Ring of Honor started with PWG and already has with New Japan, it kind of made me think more and more about Ring of Honor signing guys exclusively and how that may not be the most beneficial thing. It's definitely beneficial to Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. but like industry-wide, it may not be the most beneficial thing in terms of people growing and like sure. getting to wrestle in front of different crowds and like getting to wrestle a lot at a young place in their career. Uh, do you think it's a good thing that Ring of Honor locks people down to contracts? I do. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because before I, before I signed the contract, I really outweighed the pros and the cons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the number one con was exactly what you said. I thought, okay, I'm wrestling two or three times a weekend. That's no longer going to be happening. Uh, I'm going to be wrestling a lot less almost. Now, obviously, that's changed. Right, but even if they match the money that you would have been making, it's still Mm -hmm. the experience of being in a ring and wrestling. Of course. I mean, that's the most valuable part. Yeah, and and up until I needed surgery uh, was when I realized I made the right decision Um, because when I got hurt and I I tore my shoulder and my tricep and busted my elbow – and I sat at home for five months, and Ring of Honor took care of me the entire time because of this contract that I signed. Right. I realized looking after my body is almost more important 
than wrestling for every single independent company that I can, right? Uh, you know, on the weekends. Because to, to Ring of Honor's uh, credit, also, I, I can do as many overseas bookings as I would like. It's just oh, nothing within the United States or Canada. Mm-hmm. So I can go to Europe every weekend that, that Ring of Honor doesn't have a show, or I can go to Japan or Australia or wherever. Uh, it's just within the United States. So, But then at the same time, if I choose to sit at home and rest because I'm really sore from Final Battle right. uh, last weekend, I can choose to do that also. Right. So it's really cool at this stage in my life to be able to say, I know that money's coming in no matter what. Right. You know, so that to me is the number one thing that I'm that I'm able to sit back and go, okay, I know 100% these bills are going to be paid right. and I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. So that, that and I guess at the end of the day that's kind of the most important thing. And I guess there is this thing where you can be on the indies until you're let's say 30. Mm-hmm. You've probably put in 10 years of indies and you might have 3, 4 years left. Right. You know, to be a WWE superstar and then it's like, well, for sure. You know, I'm right. kind of banged up. And, from and then I think also, I think, let's say hypothetically, uh, I, I don't re-sign an exclusive contract with Ring of Honor, and I don't go to WWE, and I'm just on the independence. Sure. That, that initial independent run, you do very well, because yeah. for such a long time, you were away from the independence, and you still wrestled on TV and pay-per-view for Ring of Honor, some stuff with New Japan and everything. So right. uh, there's definitely perks to it. I so think. I see. So, like, there's actually stepping away for a year or two or however many years it is. Yeah makes you more valuable I think so to one day do another tour of like hey guess who's back right for sure yeah, yeah. For makes sure. sense it makes it so you're now how old I'm 26 you're 26 you get injured you actually have to have surgery yeah I would imagine before the surgery in the years before the surgery you kind of got this feeling of invincibility about 100% right yeah and then you go in and most 26 year olds even <laughs> are able to maintain that because they don't even have to have surgery right as young as you did uh how did that impact you? Because the last time I talked to you was before the surgery. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and as soon as I read that you were getting surgery, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Because that's yeah. one of those things that can slow down people, just mentally, not even physically, just mentally yep. having uh, to sit out and get surgery can completely put the brakes on someone. Two, 2015 was definitely the biggest roller coaster of a year for me, yeah. like both you know, professionally, personally. It was like I, I got my surgery uh, – um, right as my grandmother passed away, and she was like my mother, like uh-huh. she was the she was the one who got me into wrestling when I was nine and raised me since I was little. And so part of part of your wrestling career is because she gets to watch it, right? Of right. course, like like her watching it on TV and stuff. Like like a lot of people, like this tattoo was uh, my grandmother loved phoenixes, mm-hmm. so when she passed, I got this tattoo for her. So it was like, but but not being able to get out any anger or sadness or anything like that through wrestling and just having to right. sit at home that she passed away. And then I couldn't even watch wrestling because it made me sad because I wasn't there. Yeah. But, like, the the mental challenge was far worse than the physical therapy. Like, the physical thera- therapy, like, three times a day was tough. But the, the, the mental part, like I said, I really realized how, uh, like – not well-rounded of a human being I was when I got surgery, you know, because it was like, I have nothing, you know, wrestling's it. So well, I have time for my hobbies now. Yeah, you don't have any hobbies. Right, exactly. So, uh, but it was good because it made me like, uh, like, it totally reinvigorated me and made me like really, really appreciate my job uh-huh. and uh, really look forward to coming back. And uh, yeah, so just getting to come back was great. But even like the actual comeback match, I don't know if I told you this, but like, when I was rehabbing, 
uh, I had a really big mishap with my shoulder where it really swelled up really bad and it was hurt. And they were like, yeah, you have to like not do any physical therapy. Just like let it rest. So you just have to sit. Yeah, you just have to sit. And this is when I was supposed to wrestle AJ Styles at War of the Worlds. So Ring of uh. Honor had to announce it as a mystery opponent because they didn't know if I was going to be able to make it. Right. I got the clearance from my doctor that I could wrestle AJ that Monday the next day on Tuesday, I wrestled AJ. I hadn't been in a ring for five months. Oh, my gosh. Like, nothing. Like, it was just me doing rehab stuff, and then I ended up being here. And I was, of course, I was already depressed because I wasn't working out or wrestling. Yeah. So I'm sitting at home thinking, I'm not going to get cleared. You know, what the heck's going And then I find out I got cleared. And then I wrestled AJ after not being in a ring for five months. Yeah. You can imagine how nervous. And, and you're you know? sitting there, I would think, just being worried about, like, Oh, I got injured. Now I know I can get injured. Yes. Like, I got to be extra sensitive with my uh -huh. arm, with my shoulder, with my elbow, with, yep. with everything. Oh, I used to, too. Like, I used to never really warm up properly. Like, right. I'd get to the building and wear these clay, and I'd be up in, you know, 30 minutes, and then I'd get changed to go out and have my match. Now I have, like, this 45-minute routine. <laughs> You're of, watching like, these guys, like, stretch, <laughs> be like, guys. Can we not take ourselves so seriously? <laughs> right. like, let's relax. Exactly. And now I'm the guy on the foam roller, you know, doing <laughs> yoga before the match. You're in the RV, warm. like, splits on the chairs <laughs> right. before. Yeah. But it, it, it's good because it wasn't like – I'm lucky that it was only an injury that prevented me to, you know, not wrestle for four months. Yeah. It wasn't something super crazy, knock on wood. Uh, but, yeah, you know, like I said, it just really made me appreciate my job. And did you go sure. through – any of that sort of mentally being comfortable with using your body the way you used to? Uh, no, actually. The, 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 the only weird part for me was the first five minutes of me against AJ Styles in Philly, right. uh, where I felt like, like running the ropes felt different. And right, right, right. Like, you know, you the, done like, and I was like, oh, man, I haven't done this. And then it was like the second I took my first nice bump. Right. Then I was like, I'm back. And, you know, the crowd was into it and stuff. You survived so, it. And it's yeah, like, I can yeah. do this. Because I, I, I generally speaking, I've always been fairly, like, cautious of the way I go about certain things as far as super high risks. When it's called for, I 100% do it. And we'll, you know, you know, I've done thumbtacks with Jay Briscoe and all this wacky stuff. But uh, I've always been fairly careful about, like, stuff that could really hurt me. The, you know, the, the shoulder injury was just a freak accident. How do you, how do you be careful? Because that just reminds me. I think it was the last time I saw you wrestle live. Okay. I, it was the Jay Briscoe match. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the, the big spot for that was the, I think he filled your mouth with thumbtacks. And I filled his mouth. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you do that? Carefully, yeah. Like, well, uh, fortunately for me, Jay Briscoe he, is just a savage. You, so you kicked him in the face, yeah. After you filled his mouth right. with legit thumbtacks, right? Yeah. The saddest part I was about that match was the story arc of where we were going with the, uh, me and Jay Briscoe feud. It was an eighteen-month build, right? And the Briscoes' parents always come to the events, right? So two weeks prior, I attacked Jay Briscoe's dad, and they're not in the front row. And I had reserved signs for his parents, and very early in the match, I staple gunned the reserve for Mr. Briscoe's side yeah. of his forehead, and people kind of brush over that because the thumbtacks thing right. is so crazy. But that's the part where I was like, oh, man, that was my favorite part. Because that's the <laughs> violence. There's some poetic. And it's just, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, yeah, there, yeah, exactly. Like some, some matches like that, you just kind of have to lay it all on the line. It was final battle. That's, our, that's Ring of Honor's WrestleMania. Right. You know? And that was a, a feud that was 18 months in the making. Right. So, uh, of course, some danger is going to be involved because, like they say, wrestling's not ballet. Right. So, so what's more – What's more uh, nerve-wracking for you when you go into that match knowing that, like, it's a hardcore match. Ring of Honor doesn't do hardcore matches. Yeah. You're in with Jay Briscoe, who's like, you know, people are expecting a lot. Or, you know, you're back from surgery, and it's a few months later, but you got Nakamura. 
who's like known for just kicking people's asses. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need weapons. Right. He hits people as hard as he possibly can. Right, right. Uh, definitely more nervous for the Nakamura match, but for a different reason probably probably than you're thinking. Right. Like, to me, uh, uh, any time a match involves weapons, mm-hmm. they're very violent, and physically it definitely hurts. But uh, you know generally that the audience is going to be into it, and they're going to get invested. And when you fall through a table or you fall in thumbtacks or you get hit with a chair, they're going to react. Yeah. When you're just going to a straight-up wrestling war with a guy, you really have to deliver physically and really be your, – your timing with the guy has to be perfect. So, like, uh, definitely, like, a match like wrestling a guy like Nakamura, who the audience just absolutely adores. Yeah, absolutely. So the thought being, if they don't like it, who's it on? It's definitely on me. Right. So something like that is what I'd be more nervous for. Is there any for. special, like, do you have to get with Nakamura before that to make sure that you're just on the same page, or are you both experienced enough to know yeah, that once well, you get Yeah, generally there? speaking, because of the language barrier, there's not much talking right. being done before. You just kind of feel each other out, because pro wrestling is a universal language. Right. So there's not too much discussion, which almost kind of makes it less nerve-wracking. Really? You have less to remember. To, right, to me, right. Like, when, you know, sometimes when you have matches, especially television, where stuff needs to be, you know, this, 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 but then when you're wrestling a guy like Nakamura, uh, you kind of go out and base it on feel. Yeah, because that seems terrifying to me, who's never wrestled a match. Right, right. To have to have an opponent. It's like you're not whispering stuff in your ears. You're not talking about it beforehand. <laughs> you know, to just go out there and be like, no, you know. Do you watch a bunch of Nakamura before or have you – or do yeah, you just know? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. like I, well, I I love New Japan. So I, I watch uh, a lot of Tanahashi and Okada and Nakamura and all that stuff. But I think definitely I had to study and see what he did uh, to see how, you know – Adam Cole would play off of Nakamura, just to generalize it, kind of. Did you see, uh, did you see Raw this week? I did not catch Raw this week, okay. and I really wish I did. I have a question for you. Okay. Because I was there, Kathy Kelly is here with me, uh, <laughs> filming this and everything, and we were there together, and Heath Slater, he goes uh. in the ring, <laughs> and he's on Miz TV, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Heath Slater, baby! <laughs> and Kathy, like, whispers immediately and goes, he just said, baby! <laughs> She was like, "That's Adam Cole's thing." I was like, "No, I heard it." Yeah. Have you heard anything about this? Oh, I got I got more tweets about something than I ever <laughs> have in my life than when Heath Slater did that. So that to me, it, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty cool that people have associated uh, a simple word like "baby," especially in the said, wrestling world. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. It's like, but said "baby" uh, that you know that being my thing. So uh, yeah, it's cool. It, the Adam Cole baby. It's funny because when I first started doing it. Mm-hmm. I first started doing that in CZW mm-hmm. as, a, as a bad guy. And no one, you know, of course, people, some people would boo. But then people started saying it with me. Now people do the arms and the fingers with it. Yeah. You know, they're just randomly yelling it throughout shows. Yeah. So it's hilarious that me saying my name and then Bebe at the end really, really took off. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's so, you, you know, shirts, t-shirts, you got everything. Yeah. The whole nine. That is, is it difficult for you to continuously? Because I think about this with people like you and like Kevin Steen. Mm-hmm. That you guys, for the most part, tend to be heels. Right. But you're, like, two of the most well-liked guys by wrestling fans. Like, do you have to continuously figure out, okay, how do I turn this around? Because they're saying Bebe. Right. So how do I turn this around to be a heel again? i got to figure out how to be a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Like, is that difficult to get booze? Yeah. Yeah. uh, For sure, especially at this stage. Like, for me, it felt a lot easier when we were talking about me being double champion. Right. Because at that point, people are like, oh, he has too much. You know, give someone else sure. a shot. So that was very easy to get heat for me. Right. Uh, but now I'm at a point where it's certainly it's definitely more challenging. 
But I've kind of come to terms with the fact also of like accepting. I used to obsess on if I'd walk through the curtain and they would all cheer, I would go, ugh, and I'd be frustrated. Mm -hmm. I've accepted the fact now that if they're excited to see me, let them be excited to see me, but I'll get them to kind of change their pace throughout the match. Right. So um, I, I focus more on, and especially too, with Ring of Honor, if I'm wrestling some guys who are newer, uh, or maybe in the mid card, I know that generally the audience will probably go with me. But if I, I know that if I'm wrestling Kyle O'Reilly at Final Battle, they're going to be for Kyle O'Reilly. Right. So I kind of let things happen more organically now. But I'm definitely brainstorming. It's funny that you brought up the Bebe thing because I'm yeah. already brainstorming ideas to get them to kind of turn on me with that thing. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll <laughs> see. Because <laughs> that's just everyone wants to do it. That's, so. Yeah, it's just too, when you when you figure out how to say something that's fun. Yeah, right. It's like right. regardless of if it's good guys or bad guys, people are going to want to yeah. just keep doing it and doing yep. it and doing it. Yep, exactly. Um, what do you? Th oh, well, I mean, talking about, I think one way that you kind of were able to be a bad guy when you got back to Ring of Honor was to do the Kingdom thing, absolutely, and have Mike Bennett and Maria and all that. How did you feel about being a member of a stable at that point, as opposed to, you know, your own dude? Yeah, I think uh, I think it was very much needed for my character, mm -hmm. and I think it was needed for our group too, because you know I. Uh, I'm very close personal friends with all three of them. You know, they checked on me every single day to see how I was feeling. But I think initially, you know, uh, we all kind of knew that me first coming back, if I was going to be a solo act, forget trying to be a heel. Right. They were just so ready to accept me back. But then at the same time, we didn't want what we ran into early, which was me coming back and joining the kingdom and them booing them but cheering for me a lot. Right. So then we did this whole intertwined story where it looked like I was going to leave them and I was ready to move on, and then I ended up turning my back on Kyle O'Reilly, and I'm still with the kingdom. Right. So then they started hating me. So we just kind of embraced the first two or three months of like the, the tension within the kingdom to later eventually build to we are the kingdom and we rouged you guys the whole time. Does it ever make you worried about leaving Ring of Honor? Because that story, and that's what Ring of Honor does, they kind of really think long-term, it seems like, yeah. with the stories. And, like, this is a three-month bill, and we're going to stay the course, and, and this is where it goes, and it usually works. Um, does it make you nervous that one day you won't be in Ring of Honor and you'll be at a place where there's WWE, whether it's another organization, that's like, okay, here's what we're going to do with your character. And then four days later, ah, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And you're like, that build isn't quite there anymore. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, of course, the nerves for something like that is, is, is pretty obvious. I think that would kind of uh, not be preferred as far as that goes. Yeah. Because, uh, like you said, the way Ring of Honor builds stories and commits to, to certain characters is awesome. And it's so easy to follow for the fans. That's mm -hmm. why some guys really, really get over, and some guys are really hated because they're so smart about that. Mm -hmm. However, I have worked for, and I know that, you know, say, for example, like WWE is not like these smaller independent shows, but I've definitely been in a lot of scenarios where stuff is planned and stuff gets changed, whether it be a week before, a day before, or an hour before. Right. You know, that's just part of wrestling. So I think I'd be prepared with that. Creatively, would it be frustrating? Maybe, but it's all circumstantial. On and your job is to make it work. Exactly. Right. Yeah, but, you know, their, their job is to create uh, the outline for the painting and we're going to paint it in with the best colors that we can to make it work right. so that's our job we're not the bookers or we're not the producers or we're not you know creative our job is to do what they tell us to do and add our own spice to it but make it work for them so they go okay this is exactly where I want the story to go what do you think do you like what PWG does which not like Ring of Honor doesn't I think Ring of Honor takes itself uh, a little more seriously and like is like trying to maintain that suspension of disbelief like they I was, I was talking to Kathy about it earlier. 
I feel like the moments that like WWE and Ring of Honor is the same way. The moments that they look for are those moments that you forget what you're watching as a show. Whereas a group like PWG seems like it's just more wanting to get you wrapped up in all the fun. And we all know it's a show and let's go out there and like just make you say, oh my God. Right. Um, do you have any preference as to how the stories are told or how, how wrestling is done? Because they're starkly different. Yeah. And I feel like the way PWG does stuff, you know, 20 years ago, say, would be looked at as like sacrilege. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, there are advantages to both for sure. Like mm -hmm. the, the coolest thing about PWG is if someone has never watched wrestling before or they're thinking about giving it a shot, mm -hmm. and I show them a YouTube preview of PWG, and they see all these crazy moves and this audience just losing their minds. They're like, oh, this is pro wrestling? Oh, this is awesome. Right. Just because it's so right. cool. But short term, th that really attracts them. For me, I love that slow TV build, yeah. like small character arcs that really like eventually build to this big Because cool we're thing. wrestling nerds. Right, exactly. Right, right. Exactly. Like something where it's like, you know, if a character uh, slowly leans over and picks up the title and hits the guy with the belt the same way he hit him with the belt eight months ago when he turned on him. Right, like, right. I love stuff like that. And the right. announcer, you know, calling it out. But uh, I definitely prefer uh, wrestling to be, like, really promo heavy yeah. with good promo guys. But the matches need to deliver just as much as the talking does. Yeah. So, yeah. But for this short attention span world, like, PWG just comes PWG in like, uh, is like a cannon. Yeah. PWG is like the vine of pro wrestling. Yeah, it is. You know? <laughs> and it works. And it, obviously it's working yeah. really well. Does yeah. it change you when you're out there, when you're in the ring, and, like, you look out and there's, like, Sofia Vergara or right. some celebrity is out there. Ronda Rousey. Right. You know, or, it's like, uh, Gillian Jacobs from Community has yeah. gone to shows. Uh, does it change the way... Like, does that click in, or do you just have to ignore the individuals and look at the fans as a as Yeah, a I normally don't ever pick out anybody in particular. Mm -hmm. It's normally just that whole crowd is just, you know, an energy of one. Right. But there is that, like, nine-year-old kid in me that kind of feels like I'm showing off to. You sure. know, for them, I'm like, oh, Show this is really cool. There, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's just such a fun part, again, about PWG. You never know who's going to be there. Right. You just never know. And does... Does the does it do ever does everybody have to come together and kind of figure out what everybody's doing because there's so much crazy stuff being thrown into every match mm -hmm. that like you know the risk of getting repetitive is high. Sure, sure. Does everybody have to get together and figure out like how do we make this show work, not just each match? You work? would think that that would be done, yeah. But really, that's not done very much. It's everyone kind of does their you know for Ring of Honor, for example, mm -hmm. you have to constantly worry about the cameras, the time cues, yes. not repeating anything, not wearing the same colors as another guy. Right. PWG is just the all stars of the independents, gotcha. and the guys know what the guys do. Like for example, I, I'm not going to randomly do like a shooting star press tonight, right. knowing that you know speedball. Mike Bailey does one or whatever. Everyone kind of has their thing, and it's cool because the crowd accepts the the guys for who they are. So even right. if there are, uh, you know, three moonsaults to the outside, but if all three guys do moonsaults to the outside, the right. PWG crowd will love it just as much. Right. So because they're so appreciative and they just love wrestling. So and I much. guess that's also up to the people that are making the matches at PWG, right? To know what everybody does, and, exactly, and just to trust. And that everybody's I, I do think what too, when when people go and they watch PWG, they're expecting like that car crash fireworks type of show. If right. you like that kind of wrestling. PWG is perfect, right. and it's fun. It's fun for everybody. Right. You know the the character stuff I do. Anytime I want to try anything, I always give it a shot at PWG because my thought is, if it doesn't get a reaction at PWG, it most certainly will not get one at <laughs> Ring of Honor. So I always try stuff and you know figure stuff out here because uh, this crowd's just they're the best. They're awesome. At this point, do you have any sort of 
this is where I see myself in a year, this is where I see myself in five years, or have you kind of gotten past that? Uh, no, I think definitely now that I'm back from injury, uh, completely back in full force, I would love to get some serious tours of New Japan in this mm-hmm. year. That would be, like, my number one goal Does for sure. Does that bum you out? That, like, this is happening the same weekend as Wrestle Kingdom. Right, that right. You're, I mean, you're at PWG's first show of the year, which is yeah. amazing. Yep. But yep. then on the other end of the world, Wrestle Kingdom. And, and especially, too, considering there's been, like, um, uh, me and New Japan have almost made it work so many times. Uh-huh. There's been circumstances on my end and then circumstances on theirs. But, uh, certainly, you know, Ring of Honor is hosting some shows in Japan in February. And uh, I-, I can tell you, I will be back. So it- it's finally <laughs> going to work out. But, yeah, super bummed. Like, I mean, the Tokyo Dome, like you said, I'm happy I'm at PWG. But 40,000-plus uh, at the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom would have been pretty awesome. It's one of those first-world problems where yeah. you're like, these have to happen on the same <laughs> right. weekend. Right. Uh, That's definitely a bucket list thing. For yeah. sure, you know, to, to be able to do Wrestle Kingdom. That's a, the second biggest wrestling show of the year. Right. For sure, next to WrestleMania. Right. So, you're, so that's really where your head's at right now. You just got all your goals, which is I want to headline Tokyo Dome. I want to headline Wrestle Kingdom, and I want to headline WrestleMania, and I want to keep doing all the Ring of Honor shows. All of keep, it, and be, yeah. and be the youngest Hall of Fame induction of all. Right. And keep <laughs> yeah. wrestling, by the way. Just everything. Yeah. yeah, and then just yeah, never be, be happy. Be in the Hall just of never. Fame when I'm 35, <laughs> and then go for that world title at 40, because really, I can still do it. Really arrogant goals. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're just setting yourself up for a lifetime of, of those. Disappointment. Yeah, of those, of those crashes that you were talking oh, thanks. about. thanks. This is when you're supposed to say, no, I know you're going to do all no, those I don't things. think you'll do all Not of them, no. <laughs> I don't think they'll all get done. It's impossible. And even if they did, it would just be like you'd get them all done, and then you realize they were all done and just be depressed anyway. I know, and be There's so no sad. getting yeah. happy. Well, that's what someone had said to me. Like They're like, yeah, if, if you'd main event like one WrestleMania. Right. You know, then you'd be like, oh, I'm set. And I go, no, you wouldn't. Absolutely you'd go, not. No, I need to do next year. Right. And then the next, because you want to be like, then you want to be a franchise guy. Right. You know, like a Cena or an Austin. If you main event WrestleMania and you do a good job at it and you're 57 years old, then you'll be satisfied. I totally agree. But I you totally got a long way to go before you're 57. <laughs> and that's a lot of, that's like 30 years yeah. of being unhappy because you haven't gotten to WrestleMania. Oh, man, I'll yet. be so good by 57, <laughs> <Yeah>. though. <laughs> be the dopest 57 year old wrestler <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Uh, well, Adam Cole, it's always a pleasure talking to you, dude. Yes, always a pleasure. Good luck tonight. I can't wait. It's my first time I'm seeing PWG live tonight. I promise mm-hmm. that you're going to have the time of your life. Yeah. It's, it's something so different than anything you've ever experienced before. It's, uh, it's a, like a rock concert roller coaster ride. You're not going to go to bed until 5 in the morning. That's amazing. I'd be so pumped. Awesome. Well, excellent. Yeah. Good luck with everything. Thanks, and, uh, man. It's good talking to you, dude. All right. Good to talk to you, too. Here is Sam Roberts. There's Adam Cole, baby. Uh, Adam Cole, who uh, wrestled at the PWG show this weekend, we'll talk about Pro Wrestling Gorilla and my first experience over there in the state of wrestling, as well as his former opponent, Nakamura, and what he's going to be doing with his future. Uh, a lot to get into there. And uh, I made it, I, I tried to get a couple of guys from the Pro Wrestling Gorilla show uh, and line them up for podcasts while I was out there, because I listened to every bit, I get a lot of great feedback from you guys uh, on my Twitter, at NotSam, on the website, NotSam.com, on the iTunes reviews, everywhere you go. I read absolutely everything. On my Facebook page, NotSam, I read absolutely everything that you guys write. And as much as I love the positive feedback, I also, of course, have to read the criticisms, right? And if, if I'm going to give merit to the positive feedback, then I have to give an equal amount of merit to the criticisms. And... You know, as much as I'm happy with the way the podcast is right now, I do agree 
that we have been a little WWE heavy. Now, you know, I don't have a problem being WWE heavy, as I think WWE is the place as far as pro wrestling goes, and and that's what I watch the most, that's what I like the most. However, there's a giant independent wrestling scene out there, so I'm glad that Adam Cole could come on, and uh, I'll continue to bring in those independent superstars, as well as the WWE superstars, as the podcast uh, continues to move forward, and move forward we are. If you want to catch some of this forward momentum, if you want to be a part of everything that we're doing here at Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, get yourself a t-shirt and show your allegiance. Go to NotSam.com. You can click the store link right there. You can listen to the podcast. You can click the store link. Everything is there. You can also go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Get yourself uh, a Not Sam shirt, a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt, whatever you need. What's the haps? They're all at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Now, I don't know where we're going to start, but we're going to get in to the state of wrestling. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Let's talk about what is going on in the world of pro wrestling. I can't believe what we're seeing. I think it's, it's, it's amazing. So, over the weekend... Let's. I guess I'll start. You all know where I'm going. But over the weekend, let me start with uh, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. I was able to see a PWG show, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, for the first time in my life. Thanks to my friend Kathy Kelly, who was somehow able to get front row tickets to this last show. It was called Lemmy. For those that don't know, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla is probably the coolest, I think, independent wrestling promotion out there right now, just in terms of their connection with the audience. I think that's kind of a good way to define what's cool, is how how in touch with your audience are you. I would say that ECW is about the coolest wrestling promotion there's ever been, especially in its peak, and that was also the wrestling promotion that was most connected with its fan base. I think that's how you figure out if something's cool or not, is how close to its fans is it, you know? And and you never have (coughs) things in the old ECW. It's the same reason why NXT is so cool, because they're so in touch with the fan base. That's why you don't end up in scenarios where you've got a fan base feeling isolated from a product. You know, that's how you tell something may not be at its coolest point. But Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, it's this uh, promotion out of Los Angeles, California. They were they do about 10 shows a year. So it's every month or two they run a show. Always out of the same like little armory building there in LA. They only run out of one building. Uh and it seats I don't know 300, maybe they could cram 400 into it. And they sell them front row seats, general admission, then standing. And tickets for these shows sell out within minutes, minutes of them going on sale every single time, every show. But part of what makes this brand unique is the venue that they perform in and the intimacy they have with the audience and all this stuff. So it really does go to the integrity of the product that they're not trying to take advantage of the fact that they could be doing bigger rooms uh, because the room that they're in, the crowd that they have, the way the people are seated, it's all part of the show. 
and they want to maintain that. So I have a huge amount of respect for that. But it was amazing to see this audience. I mean, people line up outside of the building three, four hours before the show even begins, making sure that they get the right seats. That said, it might be the most communal feeling crowd I've ever been around. They were funny. They were as funny as any East Coast crowd. They were as smart as any East Coast crowd. But it's a general admission show, and when you get up during intermission, you didn't have to worry about somebody taking your seat. You didn't have to worry when everybody's lined up about uh, whether somebody was going to cut you in line or whatever. I mean, people got there, and people get there when they get there, and they get the best seat they can, but once they've got their seat, they got their seat. And and everybody just kind of wants to have a good time and wants everybody else to have a good time. And so inevitably, that's what ends up happening. Uh, amazing matches. Uh, I, I don't even... Uh, Timothy Thatcher is a guy who I pretty much first got exposed to this weekend. You know, I knew of Timothy Thatcher uh, from the stuff he's done in Evolve uh, and all that. But I haven't sp- gotten to spend a lot of time watching this guy. And I watched Timothy Thatcher and Drew Gulak... Uh, have an amazing grappling match. It was like as old school as old school wrestling can get. It was real holes. They were really going after each other. It was it was amazing to watch. They weren't calling spots in the ring. They were just grappling. They were down on the mat, and they were having a legitimate grappling contest. Uh, so it was awesome seeing that. At the same time, Chris Dickinson... Got to make his uh, West, I guess his, his PWG anyway debut at this show, and he ends up thirty seconds into the show, jumping off the top rope and into the audience. Uh, amazing, amazing. So you know, it's just a great combination of high spots and real wrestling and connection to the audience and their storyline and there's everything. Uh, they pack the audience in so tight that you have maybe twelve inches between the front row and the ring. There's no rope, there's no guardrail, there's no nothing, to the point that when you see something you like, you end up smacking the ring as hard as you can. Like, literally, the mat. You're smacking it to show your approval, but all the audience is so respectful, not only of each other, as I said, but of all the guys, of all the wrestlers. You know, everybody knows that they, when the wrestlers get outside the ring, and they do often, you get out of the way, because otherwise, somebody's going to fall on top of you. I mean... At one point, so a couple of guys go out in the audience and they end up using a chair. Now, the only chairs that are in there are being used for the audience. So a chair ends up in the ring. It's somebody's seat. So a guy has to stand now because his chair's in the ring. The referee takes the chair and puts it and gives it to a fan outside the ring saying, okay, let's get this out of the ring. The fan is on the opposite side of where the chair actually came from. And the whole audience works together. They pass the chair all the way around three sides of the ring. So it gets back to the guy who was first in possession of it. It was amazing to see. Uh, Roderick Strong is a great bad guy over there. Uh, it was just Zack Sabre Jr. Getting to see Zack Sabre uh, wrestle was incredible. I mean, he's, he's one of the best technical wrestlers in the country. So, I mean, all told, it was an amazing experience. I'm definitely going to travel out to the West Coast again to see another show or another few shows. Uh, and I can't say enough good about the product. Now, it's one of those instances where you don't go and say, 
oh, this is good. Why isn't TNA doing more like this? Why isn't WWE doing more like that? Because what PWG has done, which everybody should be doing, independence, mainstream, whatever you are, is they've created an identity for themselves. And you can tell that with the feel of the live show. You can tell that even when you watch PWG clips on YouTube, they look different. They, 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 as I said, feel different. They sound different. Everything, you know exactly what you're watching when you turn it on and it draws your attention. The same way NXT looks and feels so different from a WWE show because they knew that they had to create an identity that was unique to them. Uh, and I think that that is a lesson. That's the one lesson that everybody should learn from from PWG. So, I mean, I was thrilled to to check it out, and I'm definitely going to be out there again, as long as I can get tickets, because who knows? Those things sell out instantaneously. Uh, we can talk about Raw a very little bit, you know, just because there's so much happening. Um, I think it was, it was like I was talking about with Katie last week. Uh, they're making a concerted effort, I feel like, to make Neville look better and better. And that, I believe, is a response to the Slammy Award. I don't think, in my opinion, that they realized that Neville was as popular as he is. I don't think that they realized that Neville was going to win Breakout Star of the Year, and now that he has, they're going, okay, let's try something with this guy. Uh, And I think it's good. You know, watching Neville and Ambrose and Kevin Owens kind of, you know, in this triple threat scenario uh, is very, very cool, and hopefully... It'll continue to be this triple threat thing. Uh, Good to see Charlotte finally make that full heel turn. Uh, You know, it's interesting. I do think that the storyline has suffered a little bit because of the lack of a buildup. Like, there's never, there was never really an explanation as to why Ric Flair became Charlotte's full time manager. I think now that he's out there, it's good. Um, I think that it adds to the character as it is. But the fact that we never had that explanation uh, makes it feel like there's no origin to the character that we're watching. And I, you know, I tend to look into these things probably too deeply. But I do feel like they would have been better served uh, giving the character some kind of an origin and and explaining a little bit why Ric Flair's out there. But now that he's out there, it's all working. Uh, it was cool to see Becky Lynch pull the tights. This time, the commentary called the fact that she was pulling the tights, which was important to the match, uh, and seeing Charlotte finally make a full heel turn is good, and it's good because this is what we want out of the Divas. It's obvious to me that they're stacking the deck for Charlotte. Okay, so things still aren't fully settled with Paige, but now she's got to take care of Becky Lynch. Then she may have to finish things with Paige. And then, some, and then you know, the Bellas, you know, and at some point Nikki Bella is going to be back and want her title back. So that's still looming. And then way down the horizon, we haven't even mentioned Sasha Banks yet, plus all the other women that are at NXT that could be called up at a moment's notice. Uh, I think what's going on with Charlotte is a good thing, and it's a good spot for Becky Lynch too. I think it's the proper roles for them both to be in. You know, I think Charlotte makes a good bad guy, especially with Ric Flair in her corner. And, I mean, Becky Lynch is just too lovable to be a bad guy right now. So that was good. Uh, as far as uh, our new faction, baby, Heath Slater, baby. I enjoy uh, I enjoy Heath Slater's faction. Bo Dallas, uh, Heath Slater, 
Adam Rose, Curtis Axel. I think they're great together. I think the stuff they're their stuff is very very funny, and I've watched it on YouTube. You know, as the weeks have gone by, and it's really funny. Uh, I like that in the promos, he is kind of the leader, but he's not really sure about why anybody else is doing what they're doing. Like when they're going, you know, like when Adam Rose says whatever Adam Rose says, and he Slater just goes, what? Huh? And then Curtis Axel. So I think it's funny. And Bo Dallas fighting for that extra mic time so he can say Bo leave. It's obvious that they're going to be uh, uh, in battle over who's the actual leader of that faction, which is ridiculous because none of those guys ever win matches. That's the whole reason they're together. Fandango's just got to be out on the sidelines going, what about me, guys? You got room for a fifth? Uh, I, the name Social Outcasts makes no sense. Uh, I, it's a play on social media, I guess. But the whole reason why they're a team is because social media likes them. So they wouldn't be social outcasts. They'd be socially accepted. If anything, they should just call them the Job Squad 2.0 or Heath Slater's Job Squad or Heath Slater's Traveling Band. I don't know what you want to call them, but social outcast doesn't even sort of work for me. I guess they'll be able to sell T-shirts that say social outcast on them and, you know, Emo kids that feel like the world is against them can sit there going, I'm a social outcast. And they can buy the shirts, I guess. But I don't understand. It feels like somebody came up with that name and it wasn't really well thought out. That makes me think that this group is a faction. The idea for it kind of came up right before Raw went on the air on Monday. And they just needed a, a name for the group because social outcast makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, but I am happy that there's the group. Uh, and, of course, the return of the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla. Now, again, I wish somebody could answer this for me. Another legend returns to television. Another legend gets pyro. Why are they obsessed? And I understand that all these guys had pyro in their entrances. But that's because everybody had pyro in their entrances when they were wrestling. The WWE is obsessed with letting the old guys keep their pyro, but aside from maybe Neville sometimes, nobody else gets any pyro. The Dudleys get their pyro. Jericho gets his pyro. Kane gets his explosion still. Nobody else gets any pyro. Why does Jericho come back and he gets pyro? You know, throw some pyro up there for Kevin Owens or something. Lesnar's got pyro. It's like, to only let the legends have pyro. If anybody needs pyro, it's the rookies, right? Bring Sami Zayn up to the main roster and, and make the make the ceiling rain fireworks. Set the building on fire. Break the fire code. You got so many sparklers going off everywhere. The legends don't need fireworks. I mean, I guess it'd be weird to see Jericho come out without pyro at this point, but... I just I I feel like we're conditioning people to not expect pyro. You got to start with the legends, not with the not with the rookies. Um, but you know Jericho's back. Uh, you know I'm not a fan of the return. I I don't even care that Guns and Roses are coming back. I understand there's a place for all of it, but I don't even care that there's a Guns and Roses reunion after all these years because I feel like you know they had whatever 15 years to make their mark. There's plenty of other bands to go see. 
You know what? So what are you gonna have Guns N' Roses playing the Super Bowl? Like who cares? Guns N' Roses is headlining Coachella. Why? Let Jack White headline Coachella. Let the f- I mean, the Foo Fighters. Great example. They're a band that you know they're not young by any stretch of the imagination, but. It's not a reunion. They keep making new music. If Guns N' Roses were continuously making new music, that would be fine. But for them to come out and just say, okay, now we're going to reunite after 15 years, I don't know. It doesn't do anything for me the same way, with a few exceptions, guys returning just to return doesn't necessarily do much for me. Jericho did a good job. I mean, everywhere I looked, people were talking about Trap Queen and I guess Rudy Fruity Booty or whatever he said was was trending or whatever. But uh, I say there is a very big positive to Jericho coming back. I'm in the minority, I think, of people who don't like to see the legends all that often. Sometimes it's great. Not all that often, though. Um, people get happy when they see Chris Jericho. They They respond to him like he's a good guy because he's come back and this is amazing. It's at least a scenario where New Day is getting some booze. That is a positive thing. You know, New Day are about as good and about as popular as anything on the roster. You know, you you might say, why would you have Jericho come out and run down New Day if New Day are the current generation and New Day are supposed to be the better ones? Why would you have a legend come out and run down the entertainment quality of the show and I don't think that's what Jericho's doing. I think Jericho is being a good guy and New Day are supposed to be bad guys. They've been bad guys for quite some time. So I think Jericho is going to be able to bring out the bad guy in New Day more than we've seen a lot. You know, I think the biggest bad guy moment New Day had was a few weeks back or a few months back at this point when they got to close Raw and the three of them laid out John Cena and a couple of other guys and looked like a really dominant bad guy faction. Uh, that's kind of escaped a little bit in uh, the months that followed. But uh, I think it's good. I, the same way I didn't mind having the ECW guys come back and the Wyatts dismantling them, I don't mind having uh, Jericho come back if it's going to be so that the New Day looks better. I think it's it's vital that Jericho comes back and the New Day, or whoever he's feuding with. I mean, maybe he'll never... You know, when Jericho first made his debut, he interrupted The Rock, and he ended up having a pay-per-view match with The Road Dog. So it's not like just because we saw Jericho interrupt The New Day, it means there's an automatic New Day-Jericho feud happening. It really was just to announce that Jericho was going to be in the main event of the Royal Rumble. So, I mean, in, in the Royal Rumble match. So... Maybe we'll never see a New Day thing, but I would hope that there is a part of this that's being done so that the New Day looks better. Uh, we can talk about the Royal Rumble a little bit. As far as fantasy booking the thing goes, I'm going to wait a week because we got a lot more to talk about uh, and because I want to put more thought into it. Uh, how'd you like those arms? Look at these arms. Oh, good to see the old sleeveless referee shirt still fits. Huh? <laughs> hey, pal. What do you think? Not bad for a 60-year-old, huh? Uh, Vince, are you only 60? Damn right I'm only 60, pal. Look at these arms. Vince coming back to special referee. I thought the whole thing was good. Uh, It really goes to show how one messed up spot can take you out of the equation because 
I the the Vince McMahon I don't know where I am and Scott Armstrong coming out thing didn't work at all at all you know because Vince McMahon was waving Scott Armstrong to come out and it's like if you have the strength to wave somebody to come out you have the strength to count three uh, I don't know if maybe Vince got up too quickly and was supposed to be laid out uh, but whatever happened there was an obvious miscue in the Scott Armstrong uh, show up on Raw on Monday uh, but. That said, everything else was good, and the storyline itself was really good. You're going to wrestle in the Royal Rumble. One versus all, huh? Which is what I've been saying from the beginning. Roman Reigns has to be one versus all. It's the only way it works. He's got to kick everybody's ass. The world title is now on the line at the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns versus 29 other guys. uh, Everybody fighting for that championship. I think it's great. There is... No doubt. Any wrestling fan. And by the way, I've changed my view on wrestling since going to PWG. If you're a real, 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 real wrestling fan, you got to make the pilgrimage out to LA because I don't necessarily take you as seriously if you haven't been to a PWG show. The same way, if anybody tells me who's a real wrestling fan that anything except the 1992 Royal Rumble is the best Royal Rumble match of all time, I can't take you that seriously. Name me one Royal Rumble that's better than the 92 Royal Rumble. It's not going to happen. And that was the only Royal Rumble that the WWE, WWF championship was on the line. That's the Royal Rumble that Ric Flair won, that Psycho Sid cost for Hogan, that Hogan cost for Psycho Sid. Now, it led to a real cluster of a booking for WrestleMania 8. But that Royal Rumble match was the best Royal Rumble match of all time. So I think having the world title on the line is only going to add immensely to the match, uh, to what it means, to how important it is. You know, you're going to end up in a match where Kevin Owens is in the match. The whole Wyatt family is in the match. Uh, Dean Ambrose, maybe he's in the match. I don't know. Uh, But everybody who walks in, you're going like, oh, This doesn't mean they're going to WrestleMania. This means tonight they'll be champion. This doesn't mean, okay, the winner of this one is the guy that they visualize as the WrestleMania main eventer. No, no, no. It means the winner of this match is going to WrestleMania. I have to believe that Roman Reigns will not win the Royal Rumble. Not after last year. They cannot get cocky now. Roman Reigns is finally starting to work with the audience. They cannot get cocky now and have Roman Reigns win the Royal Rumble. You know... I. I wouldn't be surprised if Triple H is a surprise entrant and wins the Rumble. I don't know. There's a, there's a ton of things you could do with it, uh, which I'm not going to talk about. I'll talk about it next week. Uh, but I'm very, very excited uh, about the Royal Rumble and the title being on the line. Uh, and I think it, it adds a lot. Uh, I was kind of taken aback uh, last uh, or this week on Raw that Stephanie took the bump that she did over the top rope. You know, to have Roman the big good guy in the company, be responsible for a woman getting hit, slammed on her back. You know, he didn't hit her, but he did do something that intentionally was done so that a woman got physically hurt. That's big. For 2016, that's kind of huge to happen in WWE. So I was very surprised to see that. But uh, yeah, so that's what's going on in WWE. Now let's talk about this. On Sunday night, I stayed up. I thought it was going to be on pay-per-view. Last year, I watched New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 9 on pay-per-view, 
and I DVR'd it, but I watched it live until I fell asleep because I was on the East Coast. This week on Sunday, I was on the West Coast, which means that the show started at like whatever, midnight or one o'clock in the morning, an hour or or three hours earlier. So that meant I could watch it. I thought it was going to be on pay-per-view, but it was on New Japan World. So I whipped out the laptop. I whipped out Google Translate, took out the credit card, and I actually signed up for whatever it is, 9.99 yen a month. And I signed up for New Japan World strictly so I could watch Wrestle Kingdom because I don't watch a ton of New Japan. I just don't have time for it. But I just became enamored specifically with Nakamura, but really with the whole show, uh, but really with, but specifically with Nakamura after last year's Wrestle Kingdom. And I, I had to watch him this year again. I've seen him, you know, in Ring of Honor against guys like Adam Cole. And as the years progressed, I've watched him there. But to watch Nakamura at Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome was all I wanted to do. Plus, I get to see, you know, Gallows and, and Carl Anderson and the Young Bucks and all these guys that I love. Uh, so I was very, very excited for the show. I stayed up. I watched it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. It's really interesting the way they do things over there. Because I th- and I think it's because it's match by match that there's not a let's take a break and let's go backstage and cut this promo and blah, blah, blah. It's almost like you have your match, the wrestlers exit, then they go to a wide shot of the arena, the music stops, and the next music starts. And without having that kind of TV timeout, it actually makes the show seem more like a combat sport. Um which is, you know, I mean, it's neither here nor there. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that happens. It's a, it's a preference, I guess. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's what I was talking about before. It's New Japan making themselves look different from anything else that's uh, on American wrestling TV. But the real shocker came after the show. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Let me get my voice warmed up because I'm not done. Mm-mm. I get a text, believe it or not, from Kathy Kelly, who goes, uh, Court Bauer, who I had on the show before, Court Bauer just said on his podcast that some of the Bullet Club guys are signing with WWE. And I went, what? No way. Because part of what I was doing as I was watching New Japan, uh, as I was watching Wrestle Kingdom, was thinking and talking about who fits into WWE especially now that a lot of these guys are coming over to the States more for Ring of Honor shows. Um, And I find out that apparently... Now, again, this is all rumor and speculation and all this stuff, but it's pretty reliable and it's been said a lot. What we know is that my favorite guy, Nakamura, along with Bullet Club members Luke Gallows... I mean, well, Doc Gallows, who we know from WWE as Luke Gallows, and the machine gun, Carl Anderson, who's been on this podcast before, along with AJ Styles, all four of those guys apparently gave their resignation to New Japan Pro Wrestling, to my knowledge, right before Wrestle Kingdom. AJ Styles, Nakamura, Carl Anderson, and Doc Gallows all said goodbye to New Japan right before the show. They uh, they uh, did their thing, and then uh, you know had great matches. I didn't know as I was watching the show that this stuff was going to happen, uh, but they're apparently WWE bound. 
last time, first I read something, and this all happened like on Tuesday. Tuesday early afternoon, it says, okay, Nakamura and AJ Styles aren't going to NXT. They're going straight to WWE. And then by Tuesday evening, it's, well, they haven't technically signed WWE contracts, but they have resigned from New Japan. And then it's, so it's, it's, it's all this different stuff. But it's on, it's, it's believed that they're coming to WWE. Now, I couldn't be more excited because, like I said, I'm a WWE guy. I love watching WWE and watching WWE become, along with NXT, the kind of square one for wrestling. It's the best of the best in the world of wrestling is what it should be. We haven't seen, I think one of the reasons this is so uh, surprising and exciting is we haven't seen signings like this in a long time. When WCW was around, it was normal to get a big guy from WCW and they'd go, they're going over to WWE or a big guy from WWE is going over to WCW. And it was big, big news. That never happens anymore because there is no WCW because there is no competitive group with WWE. However, however, now we are seeing that because these are global stars. AJ Styles, people are going to know. I think AJ Styles is well known enough through his time, not only with the Indies, not only with Japan, but the organization that they will never give credit to, TNA. I mean, this one is really going to sting for TNA because WWE goes out of their way, whether it's with Bubba Ray Dudley, whether it's with Samoa Joe, to talk about the fact that over the last 10 years, they have been outside WWE, but they never mention TNA. Same thing with Sting. All these guys come in, and WWE refuses to acknowledge TNA. The one star, you could say they did it with Samoa Joe, but if you had one star that you would say TNA built, it would be AJ Styles. The argument always was TNA cannot build stars except for AJ Styles. AJ left the company. He's been in New Japan for a year or two. Uh, to watch him enter a WWE ring and not... And have TNA not receive any credit whatsoever is really going to hurt TNA. I mean, TNA is already in trouble because, you know, all this news happening in the wrestling world. And I'm not even talking about the fact that TNA is starting on pop TV this week. Mainly because I live in New York and I don't have pop TV. So there's nothing for me to talk about. You know, I mean, TNA is in trouble. But, you know, TNA is always in trouble and they always find a way to survive. Uh, it's, it's, it's shocking that the potential signing of four guys from New Japan is so much bigger news than TNA starting on a new network, but that's because it's their third network in two years. You know, it is what it is. Uh, So AJ Styles, again, it's going to suck for TNA to not receive any credit for building him, which to be fair to TNA, they absolutely did. However, I think AJ Styles is the one guy that's big enough that he's going to keep the name. Same way Samoa Joe did. I think AJ Styles is going to come in, whether he comes into NXT or WWE, AJ Styles is going to come in as AJ Styles. I don't think that the four of them are going to come in as a faction together. This is how I see it going down. I see Gallows and Carl Anderson coming in to join Finn Balor. I see a Balor club being built. And honestly, you just took the three best members of the Bullet Club out of New Japan. 
and kept them for yourself and are taking their entire thing. You know, is it right? You know, if WCW did this in the 90s, wouldn't we be making fun of it? Maybe. But I believe that they will build the Balor Club and it will include Finn Balor, Luke Gallows, I think they'll go by because he was Luke Gallows before, and then whatever they decide to call Carl Anderson. Uh, I believe that will be a faction in NXT. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Finn Balor turns heel. And that may be a, a little weird to hear. I don't know if that's the direction people are thinking or not. But with Sami Zayn being back, I personally believe that Sami Zayn will be staying in NXT for a little while. And I think it's the best place for him. I think that he might be getting frustrated, but I think NXT is the best place for Sami Zayn. He's a monster good guy. I wouldn't be surprised if Finn Balor becomes a bad guy, starts feuding with Sami Zayn as a good guy, uh, and has Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows to watch his back. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Balor Club has an almost NWO-like effect on NXT. Uh, and I think it'll be great. I think it'll be very, very exciting. I think uh, AJ Styles will have something completely different. Because I don't know if AJ Styles ever, I think, it, you know, I guess it kind of worked for New Japan, but I don't know if he ever really, because he's, he's kind of a quiet, brooding guy now with the beard and the longer hair. I don't know if he ever really fit. He was, he was good in the Bullet Club, but I don't know if he ever, it, when you look at the Bullet Club, you really look at, at Fergal Devitt, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, you know, and the Young Bucks, really. I mean, Tamatanga, of course, and and Bad Luck Fala. But those those three guys are the guys that you feel like it's their brain trust. Um, so I don't think AJ Styles... And AJ Styles is too big to be brought in. The reason AJ Styles was brought in to the Bullet Club in New Japan was because Fer- Fergal Devitt was gone. So now that Finn Balor is in NXT, it would make sense that Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows join the NXT version of the Bullet Club with him, and AJ Styles has his own thing, and I think he will. I think that we it remains to be seen what it is, but I think AJ Styles will come into the company, whether it's in NXT or WWE, I don't know. I don't think it makes sense to speculate, but I think he'll come in as a singles good guy. I think he'll come in as his own guy and a good guy, and I think people will be really psyched to see him, and I think he's going to bring something really fresh to the company. Nakamura, I'm surprised by to tell you the truth in a very good way I think this has Triple H written all over it to tell you the truth um, Nakamura again might be my favorite guy in the world to watch wrestle on television so the fact that he's going to be a part of either NXT or WWE hypothetically is so so exciting I do think they'll change his name uh, just because you know as famous as he is he's not that famous with the American fans so I do think that Nakamura's name will change same way Kenta's name was changed, same way Kana's name was changed, same way Fergal Devitt's name was changed. These guys all had equal, if not more, fame than uh, Nakamura. So I do think they'll change his name to something else. Uh, I think they'll let him keep his persona what it is, and that's what's important. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I wouldn't be surprised... I'm thinking about debuts. I would think, if it were me, I would probably save Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson until the Dallas WrestleMania show uh, for NXT. I would have them come out and help 
Finn Balor in Dallas. I think that even though people will expect it and know it's coming, the place will come unglued. It'll be a great takeover special. I think that's that's what I would do. I would save Gallows and Anderson uh, until WrestleMania. That's when I would start to form the Bullet Club. The same way I or the Balor Club, whatever you want to call it. The same way I would have. I said that I wanted to make the first Finn Balor Sami Zayn match happen at the Dallas Takeover show. That would be a great time for maybe Finn Balor to turn heel and uh, his Bullet Club members to make their first appearance in NXT. I wouldn't be surprised. I think Nakamura. They're going to figure out what to do with him. Maybe have, and and I'm not just saying this because they're Asian, but maybe have a similar debut to Kenta in the sense, or uh, uh, whatever, in in the sense that they'll probably have some vignettes. They'll make a big deal about his signing. They'll talk about what a, a huge world superstar he is, and have him come out. He'll probably debut before the guys in the uh, Bullet Club. Uh, I think I think Nakamura will probably debut sometime between now and WrestleMania, and it'll be kind of a big thing. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if AJ Styles pops up in the Rumble. It, it's not necessarily going to happen, but it wouldn't shock me to see him pop up in the Royal Rumble. I don't think Nakamura will, because Nakamura, I think, is going to take some uh, explanation as to who he is. AJ Styles, you can get over as a surprise. Nakamura is going to need some explanation, and Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson are going to need Finn Balor. And if you, for those four guys, if you do it that way, it's this isn't like the Radicals, where all four could just show up because the WWE audience doesn't actively watch New Japan, so it doesn't make any sense. Um, but I, I would take those four guys and debut them that way. I think that would make the biggest impact, and that would be the biggest uh, draw over time uh, in terms of of doing the best possible thing for all four guys. But, you know, I just, I think it's incredible. And it'll be interesting to see where they fit in because it's hard to find a a place for a guy like Sheamus or a guy, you know, when you have guys like Nakamura and AJ Styles and Finn Balor and, and you've got a whole, the new generation coming in is grossly different from the previous generation. You know, the previous generation... And they're good. I love them. Dolph Ziggler, Miz, that generation. That generation I feel bad for because that generation never really got the chance to shine because John Cena was on top for so long. Now you've got this generation coming in and taking over them, and, and we're seeing the beginnings with Neville and Kevin Owens and those guys and, and, and Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. Uh, but to see this really come full circle. I mean, the athleticism is just going to be off the charts. So I can't wait to see what happens. Nagamura, huh? Sounds like a, sounds like a, what I had for lunch. <laughs> Vince, you can't say that. What do you mean? It's, it's, it's offensive. Don't say that. Offensive. Who is this? Namamorka? Nakamura. Noramaka? No, Vince. I, I, like I said, I think it was all Triple H that brought in Nakamura. However, uh, I can't wait to see it, and yeah, that's what I would do. I'd have, I'd have Balor team with Gallows and Machine Gun, and I'd start that at WrestleMania. I'd have Nakamura come in sometime between now and WrestleMania with a lot of hype and videos and packages, and maybe have AJ Styles make his uh, surprise debut at the Royal Rumble 
and that way he's right on the main roster. I mean, we are theoretically living in a world where, like I said, I still think it'll be Undertaker and John Cena at WrestleMania. But if all this is true, theoretically, as soon as this April, April 1st or 2nd or whatever it is, we could have a WrestleMania featuring John Cena versus AJ Styles. Is that not mind-blowing? Does that not blow your mind? It's bad news for New Japan, all this thing. It's horrible news for them. These are probably, I mean, to me, four, maybe they're four top guys to me in terms of guys that I looked forward to seeing. They still got a ton of talent, and they're still going to be do just fine. But, like, you know, I saw it's all over online. If you haven't seen it, uh, you will, I'm sure. If you want, I mean, if you search it out, it's easy to find. But they already did an angle uh, over the weekend, or, or I guess this week. It was after Wrestle Kingdom, obviously, where Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks uh, attacked AJ Styles, and they threw AJ Styles out of the Bullet Club. So now Kenny Omega is the leader of the Bullet Club. And Kenny Omega is, I mean, he's an amazing entertainer. Um, a, a Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, Bad Luck Fala, uh, Tonga Tonga, uh, whatever, faction. Yeah, it's a good faction, but without the machine gun, without Balor, without AJ, I think it's over for the Bullet Club. And that's tough because the Bullet Club is so big that you can go to United States independent shows and see Bullet Club t-shirts. But I think you got to just say, you know, the Bullet Club has run its course. I just don't think that there's anything more that you can do with it. It's getting to the place like it was with the NWO where you're just adding members and members but at least with the NWO, you always had its founding members. If, you're, if you've now lost all of the major Bullet Club founding members, then you know I think you're in a lot of trouble. I don't think it's great news for the Young Bucks, especially since they just signed their New Japan Ring of Honor deal. But I think they'll be absolutely fine. I think the Young Bucks are the most entertaining tag team in wrestling right now. And... That was my only disappointment with the PWG show is that the Young Bucks weren't there. So, yeah, I don't think that that's going to be a problem. I think the Young Bucks are going to do just fine. I don't think it's great news for them. I think Kenny Omega is going to do just fine. I don't think it's great news for him. But I do think it's time to say goodbye to the Bullet Club. Just like it's time to say goodbye to this podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, and we will see you next week. Uh, Katie Linnadal, I think she should be back next week. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, But if she is, we'll talk a lot more about what may happen this year at the Royal Rumble. Uh, Again, big thanks to Adam Cole, baby. And see you you when we see you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. listening. Follow at MilkSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.